Oh my gosh. I just feel like these are bad dad jokes, you know. It's uh, so good though. Bland, dim, and boring. That's where we're at this weekend. If, uh, if your first weekend here at Grace is jumping in with us, you have no idea what to do with this thought, but I promise it's good stuff. Uh, we've actually been spending the last, um, I don't know, months walking through a lot of the early uh, life and teachings and ministry of Jesus. And specifically for the last few weeks, we've been kind of starting into what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of like Jesus. Jesus's, Jesus's uh, like main teaching, like his, the bulk of where we know of what he taught and thought and made us uh, to know and understand about him is right there in the Sermon on the Mount. And then this last few weeks in particular, we've been zeroing in on this small passage where Jesus lets us know as followers of him that we are salt and that we are light, right? And so if we avoid the life that Jesus calls us to, uh, if we disengage, from that life that he wants to bring us towards, then our life will be more bland, dim, and boring than we ever intended. Even if we have these spikes and sparks of, well, I like life this way, but Jesus is trying to lead us to something more. We were made for more, and he wants to show us what this looks like. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jeff opened this up, and he helped us walk through a few things. And one of the, one of the key phrases that he landed on, I loved this so much, he said that Jesus is less interested in our last failure than he is interested in our next surrender. And so, so many of us, we get maybe even just temporarily, but maybe long-term paralyzed on saying like, I can't do what Jesus has asked me to do or what God might have in store for me because I have messed up too much. Too much of my life is a mess. And I look back at all of my failures and I can't possibly move forward. But Jesus is the God of forgiveness, of mercy and grace. And when we decide to instead turn from our pathway and turn to him, he leads us down a new pathway of life and is much more interested in that next surrender, in that next moment of trusting him than he ever is and whatever we've had in our past. And so as we look forward and as followers of Jesus, we start to kind of land into, are we salt? Are we light? We need to take this mindset uh, to heart. Now, uh, our key passage today is going to be specifically where Jesus tells us that we are the salt of the earth. As followers of him, this is a part of who we are. But he continues this thought and he says, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can, can you make salt salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And so we're going to kind of take a look at this mindset here that Jesus is helping us to understand. What does it mean to be salt? What does it mean to potentially lose that saltiness? And what does that engage for us? Now, just totally peeling back to curtain, I fully believe that one of the things that Jesus is drilling down here when he talks about being salt is our willingness and ability to actually bring the message of Christ to bear for others, to help them to know the heartbeat, the hope that Jesus brings, the truth, the way, the life that he brings to the table. Now, my guess is most of you, once I just said this is kind of about sharing Christ, you tensed up a little bit. 
Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Sharing my faith, sharing my story, I am, I don't know about that as much. Uh, Because a lot of us, when we think about sharing our faith, when we think about sharing what Jesus has done in our life, we picture something more like this. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Do you have time to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Hey, don't run from the Lord. Where are you going? (laughs) And that's how you... Share Jesus, uh, run after people's car like a donkey. No, uh, that, that is not what we're talking about, right? Like we're not, we're not talking about starting these super awkward conversations. Hey, uh, what do you think about the Cleveland baseball team's new name? And have you thought about heaven or hell recently? Uh, you know, like that is, that is not what we're talking about, right? But how do, how do you eventually talk about Jesus? And how do you do it in a way that is hopefully helpful and fruitful as opposed to one that feels antagonistic and certainly awkward? And so we're going to kind of unravel a lot of that today. And the first question that I want to kind of address is simply this. Why would I want to share about Jesus? Like, why would I even want to talk about who Jesus is with other people? Well, while you kind of wrestle with that maybe for just a moment, I actually want to take a minute and just share a little bit about my dad. Uh, and that's not a metaphor. I'm not talking about our Heavenly Father. I actually mean my dad, Tony. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about him. Like, I think my dad is fantastic. Uh, he's just great. He's a fun guy, helpful guy, super great. If you want to picture him, just picture me, but a little bit shorter, a little bit rounder, a little more wispy, and a lot more gray, grayer uh, around the sides. And that's pretty much my dad. We sound almost exactly alike. Uh, I remember one of my favorite like teenage memories about my dad is actually had nothing to do with him. Uh, my uncle, his brother called our house. This is back in the day when you had like a, a phone at the house uh, and anybody might answer it. Uh, and so like I answer the phone and I start having this conversation with my uncle. We're on the phone, no joke, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes. And we're talking and all of a sudden, it was like, you know, it's like when you and Debbie did this thing. I'm like, oh wait, did you think you were talking to my dad? He's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like for almost 10 minutes, my uncle was talking to me on the phone thinking it was his brother, right? Like that's how much my dad and I sound uh, alike. And so that's part of who my dad is. One of my favorite things about to, to do with my dad is get him laughing. My dad has such a contagious laugh. And whether it's like sharing stories about when we were kids or whether it's about something funny he saw on TV or even sharing YouTube videos, whatever it is, like to get my dad like belly laughing is one of the greatest joys of my life. I just love, he like switches because again, he sounds a lot like me and then all of a sudden when he's laughing, he like hits a different octave. He's like, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's the best, right? I love it when I can get my dad laughing. I absolutely love it. And then my dad not only is willing to help anybody, but he like can help anybody. My dad has to be one of the handiest people I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, he's a mechanic by trade, right? So he, he worked uh, on cars early in his career, but then he worked on uh, semi-trucks for most of his career. But then he can also like do electric and plumbing and drywall and like he can do it all. And I don't mean that. And like a, my dad can do anything. I mean like for real, my dad can do anything. Uh, and, you know, not, I don't want this to happen anytime soon. You know, hopefully 25, 30 years from now when he eventually joins the Lord in heaven, I'm going to make a lot of money off of tools. I'm just saying. Like, he's got every tool you could possibly think of. Uh, some of you are like, that's funny. Some of you in the room are like, that's morbid. It's okay. He's going to heaven. He's fine. You don't need him there. Uh, and so, 
But my, my dad truly is the best. Like he, he just, I love hanging out with him. He's great. Matter of fact, even right now, uh, he, he never got to travel much as a kid or even much into his adulthood, but he's on like a six or seven week trip up into Seattle. And then he's in Alaska right now for like five weeks, like just uh, hanging out with one of his nephews and just uh, loving, loving that. And so um, I'm a little bit jealous, it's fine, but you know, sneaking away for seven weeks is kind of hard when you're not retired. Uh, and so he, uh, he, he's doing that. My dad's great. Now, as I shared with you about my dad, I want to point out a few types of things that I didn't just share with you. Uh, One of them is that I didn't start rattling off a bunch of facts about him, right? Like I didn't tell you that he was born March 19th, 1955. I didn't tell you that he grew up on Davies Street. I didn't tell you that his mother's maiden name is Miller. I didn't tell you that the last four digits of his social security. I'm just kidding. None of those facts were actually true. Uh, some of you are about to go all identity theft on him. It's my dad. Come on, people. But uh, like he, he, I didn't rattle off all these facts about who he was. That's not what endears people to my dad. His birthday means nothing as to whether or not you're going to like him or not, right? Like his mother's maiden name means very, very little to whether or not you're going to connect with him. Um, and the other thing that I didn't necessarily bring to the table are all the things I don't know about my dad. Um, I have no idea what kind of toothpaste he uses. I have no idea what his morning routine is. I do know my dad loves fish. I have no idea what his favorite fish is. Um, There's so much that I don't know about my dad, even though we're pretty close. And I know tons of things about him. There's no way for me to know everything about him. But my guess is if you walked up to me and says, hey, Joe, what's your dad's favorite toothpaste? I'm like, you know, I'm not really sure. He goes, oh, what's his morning routine? I don't know. Like, hey, hey, what, what kind of fish is your dad's favorite? I don't know. See, you don't really know your dad. He's not even real, is he? Just because I don't know everything about my dad doesn't mean that my dad's still not wonderful and great to connect with and that the things I do know about him are worth having a vibrant relationship with. So you can probably see where I'm going with this because as we begin to share about Jesus, it's not necessarily about making sure you have all the facts right or making sure that you always know every answer to every question that could ever possibly come your way because it's the relationship with Jesus that's the foundation of why it would be worth sharing about him in the first place. I want to know Jesus, not just know about him. And I want others to know the person of Jesus, not just know some facts or have some questions figured out about him. Now, those things are legit. My dad uses a toothpaste. My dad has a favorite fish. My dad probably has a morning routine, if I had to guess. But that's not the essence of who he is. It's all these other things. And so when I think of God... And I think about who he is and why he's worth relating. I can't land on any other place than that he's awesome. And I don't mean awesome like Top Gun was awesome, right? I mean awesome like actually strikes awe into who I am. Like it blows my mind that God is as good and gracious as he is It blows my mind that somehow God is always there. The scripture says that no matter where you're at, you cannot be out of his reach, that you cannot be out of his sight. Even if you were in the depths of the ocean, he is there. 
He is there with you, there to walk with you, there to guide you, there to beckon you closer to being spiritually home with him. He is faithful. He does not let you go. He has not forsaken you. He is faithful. He's the definition of good. All things good that we know are from God. All good things are from him. And all of the bad and the evil and the things that we experience do not come from him, but that is actually sourced from sin. It's sourced from rebellion against God. It's us collectively saying, I'm not sure I want God in this area. I'm not sure I want to follow God in this area. I'm going to do my own thing. Sin creates those scenarios. And then all of a sudden we're like, well, why would God let these bad things happen? He's like, I'm trying to tell you the whole time actually that we should not go down these pathways. I am good. He's the definition of justice. He is slow to anger. He is loving. He is kind. He's merciful. He's holy. He's other. I'm really glad God's not just like you and me. We'd be in big trouble if he was. God is something greater, something bigger, something so much more. He's holy. And God is gloriously beautiful. Every wonderful thing that we've experienced in our lifetimes, whether it's the, the beauty of the sunrise or the blue of the skies or the, the rain as it collects and creates, the, 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 the plant life, the way that the microbiology plays out into this cosmic universe, the way that we enjoy one another and the smiles of people and the, the masterfulness of things like oxygen and carbon dioxide and the relationship that we have with all of that beauty, all of those different things is a pale glimmer, pale glimmer of the reflection of the magnitude of what its creator has to offer. God is gloriously beautiful. And then when you boil that down into the personal, Jesus has taken my sin. And I cannot fully explain in a way that maybe you could all grasp this, but what I know is when I look at my life and all of the times that I have mistakenly messed up, purposefully mistreated someone, purposefully went after someone for selfish gain, purposefully did this, did evil things, hurtful things, minds, or mind thoughts that just were absolutely terrible, when I finally realized I needed Jesus and I went to him and I asked, would you please forgive me? I can't explain how this works, but what I know is that when I came to him and said, would you please forgive me for all of this? Somehow I felt incredibly accepted and welcomed home and forgiven. That somehow God cares enough about me that he would let me know that I have actually been forgiven. He's creating a new heart in me one that is more steadfast and one that is more focused on him than ever before. I used to be super hot-headed and, 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 and angry, impatient, ridiculously selfish. My aunt used to tell me and my mom all the time that I was one of the most arrogant kids she had ever met. Like I was not awesome to be around on a regular basis. And God has slowly but surely made me more patient. He has made me more even-keeled. 
by no means am I perfect, but I'm telling you, so much has changed since I've begun to follow him. He's calmed me. He's helped me get through different addictions. I mean, God has showed up in my life in ways that I could spend hours and hours talking about. God is awesome. And I'm not talking about switching from some type of mindset or worldview or philosophy that I happen to think and believe this way and you happen to think this way or believe this way and I think you should become more like me and start thinking like these things. I'm, I'm not talking about argumentation. I'm not talking about a way of life. I'm talking about a person. I'm talking about a God, one that has a personality, one that has opinions, one that wants to engage with you. My dad growing up, he was a Pepsi guy, like would throw away full cans of Coke type of Pepsi guy. Like Pepsi is the answer. You drink Pepsi. Why would you drink this other junk? And somewhere along the way, I don't know what happened to him, but now he's a Coke guy. Like he does not drink. I think he would throw away full cans of Pepsi. Like he's a Coke guy now. I don't know when and where that happened. And you know what? You could sit down and start arguing, no, I knew your dad way back when. He is for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he is a Pepsi guy. And you could argue right now, no, I was just at his house. He drinks Coke, I promise. And you could argue, argue, argue. And you could talk about why you think he's Pepsi and why you think he's Coke and how all that happened. And even if he changed, why and when did that happen? Let's just go ask him. He's a person. Hey, Dad. Are you Coke Pepsi now? I know, it's weird. I know you grew up on Pepsi, son, but I'm a Coke guy now. When did that happen? You know, and he could lay out that story, and this is why. We just go ask him. But so many times when we think about sharing Jesus or sharing our faith, we get locked into, I need you to stop thinking and believing what you believe, and I need you to start thinking and believing the way that I do, and we'll argue all these things. I'm pretty sure God's like this. Well, I don't think God's like that, and I think creation would be like this, and I think creation would be like that, and I'm pretty sure humanity's supposed to, and we just argue, argue. Go ask him. He cares. He knows. He has an opinion. He's, he, he's very clear on most things. He's like, no, this is how I think it's supposed to play out. I, I, I created you. I know how your emotions work. I know how you're crafted. I know what your desires are. I, I know. And I actually would love to interact with you on an individual and a personal basis and bring you closer to my heart and show you what life looks like. We're not talking about just thoughts and philosophy and argumentation. We're talking about connecting with a personal God that somehow loves you more than you could ever comprehend. And all of that is why I would want to share about Jesus. Now, if we flip the coin, the next question I want us to think about is, why would I want to share Jesus with you? Why talk to you about Jesus? Why talk to our neighbor about Jesus? Why talk to our coworker, our classmate? Why talk to that family member? They've made their, their, their stance perfectly clear. Why would I ever want to share Jesus with someone else? Jesus' brother James breaks down this very fascinating thing in the scriptures for us that I'm going to call the downward spiral. 
And James explains it like this. He says, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. This downward spiral is something that we all share. Um, you're probably better than I am, but every once in a while when I'm driving down the road and someone else drives in a way that I'm not super happy with, I, I can start to have some thoughts, right? I can start to think some things in my mind. Uh, every once in a while, again, I'm sure none of you have ever been in this scenario before, but I think about sharing the very little bit of sign language that I'm aware of. I think about, matter of fact, one time, and I wasn't even being ridiculous, one time just in the car, I was like, what are you thinking? Said that out loud. And my daughter, who was like four times, like, dad, who are you talking to? You know, that's a very good point. Because <laughs> um, no one but you can hear me, you know? And, uh, but I started having these thoughts. I mean, I, my thoughts have gotten to the place, right, where I'm like, you know, there's not that many cars on the road and there's a field off to the side and I'm pretty sure if I tapped your bumper in just the right way, you're going for a bumpy ride and I can have the road to myself. I'm terrible, okay? But those thoughts have crept into my mind before, right? I, I, I think about doing some pretty terrible things when I'm driving. Some of us, every once in a while, we're like, no one's around. No one can catch me. I can... I can just look at some stuff on my phone. Who's going to notice? Who's going to care? Who's going who's to be affected? It's not that big of a deal. Those thoughts pop into your mind. Some of us maybe were at work and, gosh, it has been forever since I have felt closely connected with my spouse. I just feel distant from them. And my goodness, this coworker, they just get me. We have so much in common and they understand what I'm going through and it's just lunch. I just need someone to vent to. I just need someone to talk to. And these temptations and these enticements start to show up. But then when those desires are conceived and we do start yelling at that driver and, and we do start clicking on some websites and, and we do sit down over lunch or a couple of lunches and all of a sudden we find ourselves in, a, in, a, in our emotions are out of control. That whenever we drive, it's like, you know, normally I am a, I'm a decent person, but man, I get behind the wheel and I turn into a different person because we've given birth, full birth to the sin. And now we can't think of a time when we're alone and we haven't pulled the phone out to look at the thing. And, and now we're closer to that coworker than we've been to our spouse in months. And all of a sudden we find ourselves and that, that full grown sin is pulling us down. And now we can't, we have a rage issue and we have a pornography addiction and our relationship, we're ready to sign papers all because it was just lunch a couple of months ago. And now this person is actually the, and it all starts with these just normal temptation enticements. No one ever says, I want to be a rageaholic. No one ever is like, you know, I hope I get addicted to pornography. No one ever is like, I know I committed my entire life to you and vowed that I would never leave you or forsake you, but I'm out. No one ever just decides from the beginning that I want these things to blow up in my life. It's a downward spiral. 
And some of us are going down it like a landslide. We can't stop. We are going down it as fast, it is quick. We never thought that we'd be in, these, in, in this situation. And some of us were like a lobster and slowly changing water. We don't realize that pretty soon it's about to be boiling. And wherever we find ourselves in this scenario, one thing that we all have in common is this downward spiral is the shared human experience. One way or another, sin grabs a hold of us and it always leads to death. Always. Sin is never something that leaves you neutral and it certainly never makes it positive. And so when we look around at each other, the irony of this truth is oftentimes if we think that we're someone that is slowly succumbing to the downward spiral, that somehow we're better than those that are quickly succumbing to it. That somehow because your life is blowing up faster than mine, that I'm better than you. That somehow because your life seems to like be a train wreck, that I must be a good person and you must be a bad person. That just because my life is only slowly deteriorating and yours is falling apart, that somehow I must have it all together and you must be... And then we start to just blame. Like, well, that's your decisions. You made your own bed, sleep in it. You're the one that put yourself there. You're the one that, and we start creating these dichotomy argumentations where we're just saying like, you deserve what's coming to you because of your sin. I, on the other hand, am a good person and I'm fine. That's why I'm not. As opposed to us all realizing that we're slowly succumbing to the downward spiral of our sin. And how foolish it would be of us, and I've done this before, but how foolish it would be of us to say, well, I'm only dying slowly, ha ha to you that's dying quickly. It's all leading to death. You're like, Joe, this is bleak. Enter Jesus. Jesus severs the downward spiral. Jesus negates the effect of sin. Paul says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, when your sin is full grown and it's leading you to death, what your sin earns you, what your sin gets you is death. There's no way around that. That's where it leads unless we allow Jesus to step in and redeem us, to rescue us, to change us, to give us a different pathway. Jesus is the one that changes all of that. You're like, how can I possibly stop this rage machine that I've become inside? How can I possibly stop this addiction to pornography? How can I possibly start to walk away from this person that seems like I'm connecting with and somehow find redemption in my marriage? And Jesus is like, I know. Follow me. Come, follow me. I have literally beaten death. I have died the gruesome death, by the way, to pay for what your sin is earning. I have taken care of that portion. I have rose again. And by the way, hundreds of people can physically attest to the fact that I have been back. I am alive. I am here to show you, to give you encouragement, to give you life, that death no longer has power over you. Give yourself to me. Let me show you what life looks like. Jesus breaks the spiral of sin and death.
That's why I want to share Jesus with you. Because no matter what spiral you find yourself in, no matter how subtle or intense you may think that it is, Jesus stops it. And Jesus doesn't only just stop it. He doesn't just leave you there. He starts pointing you back to life. Jesus shows you what it looks like to not only stop being a rage machine, but maybe starting to be an actual wonderful example of someone that is patient, someone that is kind and compassionate, someone that can actually handle how life is coming to them. Jesus changes you, will heal you. Jesus not only can take your addiction, Jesus can actually free you from it and give you a vibrant life and restore the things that were once gone. Jesus can actually not only restore your marriage or restore your relationship, but bring it to a place of life and fullness that you never thought possible because Jesus is the creator and sustainer and savior. He breaks all of that. And when we can understand how amazing Jesus is, and we can understand why it's so wonderfully amazing that other people can have their downward spirals broken, that's what it means to be salt. When Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, that's what he's asking us to be a part of, to see how wonderful Jesus is, to help others realize that they do not have to keep going down their downward spirals, but instead they can find life in Christ. I found this quote this week, and if I'm being honest, this quote was so nerdy. Uh, I had to read it like seven times. I'm like, I think there's some really good stuff in here. And as I read it, I'm like, I want to reword it. I would have to read it seven times to you. But this is what this quote basically said. It said, in the believer's character, so if you follow Jesus, if you've given your life to him, in your character, there's a preserving force to keep the rest of society from utter corruption. If they were not scattered among people, the human race would fall apart. In other words, Jesus has put this thing in us, this identity, the fact that we are the salt of the earth. He's put this inside us. And remember, salt is a preserving agent, right? It's not just flavoring on your steak. It's a preserving agent. It's meant to keep life. Jesus has put that inside of us so that when we see things falling apart around us, we have this internal desire to be a part of helping restore it. To help people see that, you know what, that death doesn't have to continue, but instead life is possible. And so he's put that in all of us, but unfortunately this quote continues, and it says, but if they're Christians only in name, and the real power is gone, nothing can save them. And they're of no use, whatever, to among those they mingle. You see, if we decide that we no longer want to discover and portray how amazing Jesus is. If we decide that others are somehow, and this would be errant thinking, but that they're not worth helping to see the light and the hope of Jesus, then suddenly we become Christians in name only. And where's the power in that? Or as Jesus asked in our key passage, what good is salt if it loses its saltiness? And it's not that he loves us less. It's not that somehow we're now less valuable as humanity, but the very thing that he put inside of you to be 
wonderfully useful to portray and to reflect his hope and his message with others has now slowly been zapped inside of us because we're refusing to engage who he is. And I think moments like this are when Jesus is trying to re-stir the pot, to get the salt back where it needs to go, and to remind all of us that are followers of Jesus that we can bring this life-giving hope back to our lives and certainly to others as they're discovering they need more and more of who he is. Now what I find fascinating is we can sit here and we can probably mostly believe that you know what, that's right, Jesus is worth talking about. Jesus is wonderful and amazing and I can probably even get behind the fact that others need him. And yet, why is it still so hard to do it? Why is it so hard to start the conversation? Why is it still so difficult to go out and try to figure out a way to have a life-giving back and forth conversation with someone about how wonderful Jesus is? I can talk to you about my dad, no problem. Why is Jesus so difficult? So I wrote down a couple of things that I hope will be helpful. If we're trying to be salt, what is it that we're actually trying to share? If we're gonna step in and try to help people see how wonderful Jesus is and if we have that compassion that folks need to know that Jesus is the spiral breaker, then what do we do about that? Well, Peter, one of Jesus's lead disciples, wrote down in one of his letters, he said, if someone should ask about your hope as a believer, let's always be ready to explain it. Now, I wanna be clear here because some of us are still picturing that donkey running up alongside the car. This is not whenever someone's in earshot of you, you should start saying, you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is as your life, we talked a little bit about this last week, as your life brings light into dark scenarios, as your life more and more clearly is showing that you are about Jesus, and what is that about? and someone starts to wonder why you are the way that you are, why do you think the things that you think, why would you think going to church, maybe going to a life group, serving in these ways, reading your Bible, why would you think any of that's important? Be ready to explain it. And this isn't the quiz. This isn't have all the right answers. This isn't make sure that you know all the things you've never known before. This is why do you Follow Jesus. Why do you sit in church? Why do you want to connect with other people that are believers and be encouraged by them? Why do you do the things that you do to be connected to God? I don't get it. Can you help me understand that? And relatively speaking, whatever your answer is that you follow Jesus is what's going to be helpful in that moment. And it's okay if you don't know the answers. Joe, what kind of toothpaste does your dad use? I don't know, but his teeth look amazing and they're white and they're shiny. For real, I would love to know the toothpaste that he uses. Let me go find out for you. Seriously, Joe, I have these questions about Jesus. I'm not sure how this works. I think I would like to follow him, but that makes no sense. But you know what? Why don't we dig into that together? 
you know what? Let me go talk to someone and I'll see if I can figure some of that out. This is a great journey for both of us to be on. Let's do that. Because at the end of the day, my dad is still my dad. At the end of the day, I'm still following Jesus. We can discover some of this stuff together. What's the reason that you have to explain why you follow Jesus? I wrote down a couple of helpful things to maybe think through this. One is, what helped you realize that you needed Jesus? For me, it was I couldn't keep up with appearances. The head trash that I had in my head that I had to present myself in a certain way, but it was all a facade. It was all fake. It was all me trying to be a good person when I knew deep down I was a total monster. It was the insecurities I couldn't shake, the fears I couldn't put aside any longer. It was the sin that had been entangling me for years and years and years. And finally, I realized I need Jesus. What made you realize that you need Jesus? The second thing is every story connects with someone. I've heard way too many times folks say one version of the other. My story is so dark, Joe. I have so much shame in my past, so much junk. There's, I do not want people to know who I was. I do not want people to see the terrible nature that I had before I met Jesus. I cannot share my story with someone else. And I've seen the other side of the coin. I, 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 I gave my life to Jesus when I was like seven years old with my mom. We were reading a kid's story Bible and I decided I wanted Jesus. And at that moment, I'm pretty sure the worst sin I've ever committed was yelling at my brother and stealing an Oreo. But I knew I needed Jesus. Why would I share my story with somebody? I mean, it's not powerful at all. It's not, and I wanna caution you with either version of those thoughts because other people need to hear your story. They need to A, hear why you decided to give your life to Jesus and B, your story might be right where they're at because there are a decent amount of six, seven, eight-year-olds that are thinking to themselves, they're starting to discover Jesus is pretty awesome. And I'm pretty sure I want to align my life with him. And when they look at your story and you've been following Jesus now for 20, 30, 40 plus years, and you also gave your life to Jesus as a kid, they realize, you know what? I can do this. I want to do this because I want my life to be like you. And if you're following Jesus and I love you, then I want to be in on that. And so kids, if just because you think your story might be vanilla or not that big of a deal, they need to hear that. And let me tell you something. If you have one of those like spiritual war stories that I've come from these darkest places of the earth and you don't want to know my past, let me tell you something. People that have similar stories desperately need to hear yours because they're pretty sure that Jesus has forsaken them. They're pretty sure that Jesus has left them in the dust. They're pretty sure that this whole God story isn't for them, that like suddenly they're thinking to themselves, whoa, 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 I know you said Jesus forgives, but he left a few of us out because my life is awful. And they need to hear your story because they need to see that Jesus's redemption has no bounds. That Jesus's redemption is for anyone that says, I no longer want to go down this pathway, but I want to follow Jesus's pathway. And so they need to hear your story as well. Because on this imaginary spectrum that I just made up, every story connects with someone. And so when we share the reason for the hope that is within us, it connects and it helps. 
And the last thing I wrote down for this was that it's about relational experience, not knowing the facts. Facts can help. They, they, matter of fact, they can be incredibly helpful. But I'm not asking you to know about my dad. I'm asking you to get to know my dad. That's very different mindset. If you don't know when Abraham historically walked the earth, if you can't quite piece together in your head how God created everything, if you can't totally, all of those things actually have answers and have wonderful pathways of exploration to the depth and the wonder of who God is. But knowing God is the point. Understanding that somehow God meets me, it's, it's the strangest thing. And many of you would have this experience but we sit in rows of chairs and we look at digital screens on the camera and we sing out loud in public and somehow God meets us in that moment. Somehow when I go to him asking for forgiveness, he, he meets me there. Somehow when I'm having those thoughts of road rage on the road, all of a sudden a song will pop into my head and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't commit manslaughter today. Thank you, Jesus, for, for helping me remember who I am and you. And God meets me in these relational moments. And then he helps me discover the wonder of so many of these other things. That There's so much to know. And it does build the depth of who Jesus is. But it's the relationship we're trying to introduce people to. It's the relationship. So I'd like to give you three quick practical handles on where to take this then. Because... Maybe that's some of the ways that we can chat. Maybe that's some of the mindset and the heartbeat we can bring to this. But where do we even find ourselves having these conversations? And the first thing I want to encourage us of what we can do about it is we need to pray for your three. We talk about this a lot here at Grace. Who are three people that are in your mind and heart that you desperately wish knew Jesus? And pray for them daily. Pray for them on a regular basis. Jesus, give me an opportunity to share some facet of who you are with them on some level. Help them have a connection with you. And I wanna encourage you to pray beyond Jesus. Help Joe know Jesus. That's a beautiful prayer. But what about my stubbornness? Will you pray through my stubbornness? Will you pray that I might see the goodness of God and realize how amazing he is? Will you pray that I will start to see my desperate need that no matter what happens in my life, I can't handle everything. I'm not as a human in control. Would you pray for that? Would you pray for a no-brainer moment so that you're not having a what's your favorite toppings on pizza? You know, you don't get any of that in hell. You know, like, we don't wanna have those kind of awkward conversations. Jesus, would you give us a no-brainer moment where suddenly we're talking about life and it makes sense to talk about a part of our story and bring that to the table. Pray for them. Pray for your heart. Some of us, really need a dose of that compassion because we, we are so easily tempted to see ourselves as better than other people and that they deserve what's coming to them, forgetting that we ourselves still are in desperate need of a savior and that our sin was going just as downward as anybody else's. We need to pray for that compassion. Some of us need to pray for our confidence some of us, we feel like we don't know enough. We haven't been a believer long enough. We've not been around long enough. And I want to tell you something. Jesus is more than enough. That you being able to share your experience up to this point and following Jesus is what that person needs to hear. 
whether you've been following Jesus for a day or you've been following him for eight decades, Jesus has been a part of your life now and sharing that is enough. Some of us were still trapped in that guilt. I've done too much, I've said too much, I've thought too much, I've blown up too much. Jesus is faithful and just that when we confess our sins, he will forgive us. I don't care if it was last night Give that sin to Jesus and then use that as a part of your story as to why Jesus is incredible. I'm not trying to get you to follow me. I want you to follow Jesus. I am a mess. You're probably a mess too. We're not the savior of the world. This is good. I want you to follow Jesus. Oh, you say you want to follow Jesus, but you're a mess. I know. That's why I need Jesus. Some of us, it's shame. Have you seen the way that my friends think about Christianity right now? Have you seen the way that group represents themselves? Have you seen the messaging of this church? Have you seen what's happening here and all my friend thinks of when they hear Jesus is that? I'm ashamed to be connected to that. I'm not trying to introduce you to bad examples of following Jesus. I'm trying to introduce you to Jesus. I'm trying to help you see what an honest relationship with our Savior can look like. He is good. He is great. And he can far outlast any bad example by any group, any organization, any person, any, any, any leader that's hurt them in the past. Jesus is greater than any of that. Pray for your own heart. And the last practical thing I want to help us with is we also need to put ourselves in scenarios with others who don't know Jesus. Some of us, especially in the last two years, like we'll work alone. We might work from home. Some of us live alone. And you put the combination together, you're like, well, I told my cat, um, and my cat's still evil. So um, <laughs> we need to put ourselves in scenarios with other people that don't know Jesus. It might be something like joining a gym or joining a group or hanging out at the same place once every other week or it might be keeping a grocery schedule that's the same so you hit the same workers on a regular basis. It might be volunteering at an organization in our community. It might be showing up and being a part of other people's lives. It might be switching jobs. It might be something crazy. I don't know. But if we're not in scenarios where people don't know Jesus, then it's really hard to be salt. It's really hard to be light when it's already lit. And so if we're gonna do something to actually help people see how wonderful Jesus is and that there's a way to break the spiral of their sin and addiction, then we gotta be in those scenarios. Now, I realize, we realize how hard that can be. So we actually put a resource together for you, right? We're calling it our Summer Passport and this summer passport has 21 different ideas on how you can start to take steps forward. This is not a, a gimmick. This is not a program. This is not a, you're a terrible person if you don't grab one of these, these passports. What this is, is understanding that being salt and light, being involved in people's lives, trying to have conversation is hard. And that it's difficult. And a lot of times we don't know where to start. And so we're just saying, here's a resource. You could, there's some out in the lobby. You can pick one up on the way out. You can download and print them right from this website here. Like, go 
print this out, grab your stamps, check them off, think fall hiking spree, and we'll find ourselves at the end of the summer having a clearer glimpse and experience of what it means to be salt and light in people's minds and hearts. And if we can start to help people see how wonderful Jesus is, how good and life-giving he is, and how when we turn from our pathway of sin and death and put our lives in Jesus' hands and trust him with it, just how life-giving and powerful that can be. If you follow Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. You are the ones that help people realize the life and the hope and the message of Jesus. The band's gonna come out and they're gonna create some space for us to think and pray through this. But before we dive into that, I just wanna give one last encouragement. Some of us in here still have not decided to follow Jesus. And maybe it's because of one of the things I mentioned today. You see these terrible examples of what it means to follow Jesus and they seem to be the loudest voices on, in the media. Or maybe you think you're too far gone. Or maybe you think you're a good person and you just don't need him. I'm just being straight up. I pray that Jesus helps you get past that today. That you would finally realize the wonder and the life that is being extended to you by your loving and good and gracious heavenly Father that is beckoning you to come home, to have your soul restored, to have your sin, no matter how little or great, forgiven, and to be shown a pathway of life that starts today and lasts for ever. I'm praying that we can celebrate that with you today. It's so worth it. It's the best thing ever. Let's go to Jesus. In whatever scenario we find ourselves, let's go to him and let's see how he wants to work inside of us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness that you don't leave us alone. You, don't, you certainly won't leave us in our sin. You have done so much for us to redeem us, to rescue us, to show us. You have pathways of life moving forward for each and every one of us. Jesus, for those of us that don't yet know you, that haven't yet yielded and said, yes, of course I need Jesus. Of course I need my God. I pray that you would bring us to that point of understanding and realization and that you would show us that path of life forward. And Jesus, for those of us that are sitting here as your followers, I pray that we would rest and be excited in the fact that you have created us to be the salt of the earth. And that we would not only vibrantly remember why it's worth sharing who you are, but that our compassion would be there to consistently want to help others know who you are as well. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so, so much. And it's your name we pray. Amen.